From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Exposing the motives and agenda of the world's most powerful. Unleashed. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, breaking news. Climate PSYOP, or psychological operation, is now in full swing. Peer-reviewed study appearing in the journal Science Advances, dated February 7th, 2024, talks about the need to, quote, addressing climate change with behavioral science. Effectively reducing climate change requires marked global behavioral change, unquote. Yes, that's right. These are peer-reviewed papers. You can't argue with it. They want to change your behavior, and they want to change it by altering your behavior and by influencing you. They have a, quote, global intervention tournament going on in 63 countries right now. And this is just a little excerpt of this study, which is trying to play mind games, if you will, with you. Effectively reducing climate change requires marked global behavioral change. A growing body of research across the behavioral sciences has been investigating intervention strategies aimed at boosting sustainable intentions and behaviors, such as recycling, public transportation use, household energy savings. So they have a bunch of intervention strategies to make you want to recycle, use public transit. They want you to take that New York subway late at night, preferably, instead of your car. Goes on, communications aimed at reducing the psychological distance of climate change by making it feel more geographically, socially, and temporally close. Hmm. They want you to feel, they want you to see climate change outside your living room. They want you to feel climate change the next time it rains. They want you to be aware of climate change in your everyday behavior so that you are suitably motivated to do what they want you to do, hence a climate psyop. Let's read that again. Communication aimed at reducing the psychological distance of climate change by making it feel more geographically, socially, and temporally close. Continuing, we're effective at increasing climate concern and amplifying self-reported intentions to engage in mitigating behaviors, such as reducing energy consumption. Wow. They want to they want to play with your mind to make you more concerned so that you have quote increasing climate concern which will then amplify your self-reported intentions. You don't have to actually do anything. They just they want to know that your intentions are there because that's wrong think if you disagree with them. This is group think or correct think to agree to engage, they want you to engage in, quote, mitigating behaviors such as reducing energy consumption, unquote. Anyway, this study is huge. I have it linked at Climate Depot. It goes through the entire thing. They had almost 60,000 participants in this study, which they put together. And it's all by experts. They use the word expert uh, a few times. I love the way they, they, they go to the experts. The experts have devised this, and experts from different countries. Anyway, so now you know the rest of the story, they are uh, they are going after you. All right, well, on the same theme, clip four, this is UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez, who by the way, happens to be the past president of Socialist International. So he went from Socialist International president to the Secretary General of the UN. 
basically the same organization. Uh, here's how he had, uh, this is Secretary General Gutierrez on how the West has to suffer for climate change while ignoring China. Clip four. If you cannot set a credible course for net zero with 2025 and 2030 targets covering all your operations, you should not be in business. Your core product is our core problem. We need a renewables revolution, not a self-destructive fossil fuel resurgence. We need a renewables revolution. They are not going to give up. They are going to just keep pounding. And when was the last time Greta Thunberg went to the Congo and protested the mining conditions for the underage kids doing the lithium batteries and the cobalt for uh, EVs and solar panels? When was the last time Greta went to China to protest their working conditions or Russia or Brazil or India? No, they come after the countries with the best environmental records and the in the fastest reducing emissions. Uh, they come after the prosperous, wealthy West, uh, and they ignore the other countries. Of course, they should. No one, no one should be actually harassed by these people. I'm not saying that you know that they're right and they just need to be equal opportunity. No, I'm saying that's hypocrisy. But there is no climate emergency as always. All right. How are they going to get us? And I was talking, open the show with the breaking news about the climate psyop and changing our behavior. Well, one of the ways, and I've said repeatedly on this show and Unleashed, is you don't need barbed wire fences, watchtowers, men, armed men with security guards and uh, pens of people locked in to, to impose tyranny. You just need technology, technocracy, and gentle ways to unperson people, cancel them and literally make them so they can't function in society. And one of the ways to do that is clip one, Australia is now descending down the cashless road. So you're, this is all a step for a cashless society, which ultimately leads to central bank digital currency where the government allows you to spend money only on what the government deems sensible. So says the Bank of England. Clip one, this is what Australia is doing to get rid of their cash. Well, concerns are growing for senior citizens with more and more banks going cashless. Yes, banks going cashless. Over-the-counter transactions are no longer available at some Commonwealth bank branches, with cash only available through ATMs. For more, we're joined by the Chief Operating Officer of National Seniors Australia, Chris Grice. Thanks so much for your time, Chris. I you. Not everyone's happy about this. I mean, a cashless trend, what's going on? Well, we're not only sort of seeing uh, cash being sort of, I guess, removed from uh, from the economy, but uh, we're seeing obviously uh, a deliberate uh, play to transition everybody over to uh, to digital transactions. Uh, Twenty thirty, they're removing checks from circulation, mm. uh, so there's a, a, a big uh, a big shift to uh, to getting people off cash. And why do they want you off cash? Well, number one reason, well, the number one reason you'd think would just be monitoring your behavior. They want everything electronic, everything a record, tax compliance, social credit system. Ultimately, they want to control what you can spend money on. When you have people like, I think it's Bank of America, um, going after, not saying we're not going to allow you to use our accounts or credit cards to buy firearms. When you have a major bank in England debanking um, Nigel Farage, a former MP, literally over his, because he's skeptical of climate change. And again, that's not speculation. It's not in dispute. They have Freedom of Information Act requests showing the reason the bank debanked him, bank debanked him, was because of his views on climate change. Well, 
This is now the president of the European Central Bank. Christine Lagarde admits the EU's new central bank digital currency, the digital euro, does that sound exciting, will be used to impose control, clip to. You're introducing the electronic euro, as I know. Yeah. So yeah. How, can I, um, how can switching to an electronic currency help? Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you're on the gray market. So you take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. But, you know, the, the, the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control, you're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. Wow. So you need to give up your freedom because there was a terror attack in France. She's talking to all of Europe. I would actually rather have terrorist attacks than permanent digital tyranny and control of how you spend money by governments going in perpetuity into the future. Sorry. And that's how they get you. This is for your safety. We had terrorists use our freedom, our financial freedom. They exploited it and were able to kill people and do nasty things. We're going to get rid of that freedom. So no one will be able to do it. Yay. Tell them to go to hell. Tell Christine Lagarde of the European Central Bank to go to hell using the safety argument. That's why you should lock down, stay at home, wear a mask, close churches, because we're keeping you safe. People will die otherwise. Okay, continuing on. This is clip three. The president of Singapore, Tharman Shanamugatam. I'm sure I butchered that name, but if you say it with confidence, it'll work. Speaking at the World Economic Conference in Davos at the summit, saying there's no realistic solution to the climate transition that does not involve a globally coordinated system of carbon taxes. And by the way, the way things are now, you don't even have to vote for carbon taxes. We'll just see some unelected EU bureaucrat will impose them under the cashless society, under the digital euro, under the new central bank digital currency, happened in the US too. But this is what they're pushing a carbon tax along the same thing. Let's go clip three. There's no realistic solution to the climate trans transition that does not involve a globally coordinated system of carbon taxes. There's no realistic or fair solution that does not involve a globally coordinated system of carbon taxes. And Ngozi at the WTO is coordinating this with several other international organizations. It's still early days. There's a perception that it's unjust, it's unfair, it'll lead to inflation. In fact, quite the contrary. If we don't do this, the countries that will suffer most ultimately are the developing countries. They're going to be the worst affected by climate change. If we don't do this, it's ordinary vulnerable communities that will suffer the most. What we need is a system of carbon taxes coupled with subsidies for vulnerable households and a stream of funding for the developing world to allow them to engage in investments in mitigation and adaptation that allows them to keep growing. And that's a real opportunity. It's a fair solution, and it's the only realistic solution. And we can't keep ducking it. 
You're right. We can't keep ducking it. What a load of absolute bull bleep. This is the president of Singapore, Singapore Tharman Shemanuna Gartam, Gartanam. And what an SOB. I'll just say that clearly. He's actually implying that unless we get this global carbon tax that he's pushing, the developing world will suffer the worst effects of climate. If only we can, if we can impose this global carbon tax, the worst effects of climate change will melt away. Well, what if they don't? What if there's a hurricane in Florida? What if there's, you know, floods in Singapore? You know why that would happen? Because the carbon tax is set too low. We need to double, triple, quadruple, quintuple it. And we need to do that in perpetuity every year until we get the weather that we want. These are bastards pushing this. And they're trying to tell you, then they have these revenue streams. So then you find out it's not really about the climate. They just want a giant tax that unelected bureaucrats at the EU and the UN can all control and distribute as they see fit. So it can go to the countries and make sure that the leaders they like can vote, can get their re-election campaigns going and build monuments to themselves, et cetera. This is a scam from beginning to end. And we sit around and we act like they, these are intellectual arguments that we need to, to meet these people with. It's not. This is just crap from beginning to end. All right, let's continue. Sorry about this. Okay. This is clip five. NBC News talking about the Chinese system and what, what uh, it's actually a pretty darn good report for NBC News talking about exposing how the central bank digital currency, how uh, the social credit system robs you of your freedom and your privacy. And this is where the once free West is rapidly heading. Clip 5, NBC News. Everywhere she goes, Ouyang Haoyu is followed. What she buys, how she behaves, is tracked and scored to show how responsible and trustworthy she is. It's called the social credit system, and in one version now being tested, a person's reputation is scored on a scale of 350 to 950. And how you, with a good score of 752, is okay with it. In fact, most people are. It's a mechanism like uh, pushes you to become a better citizen. It's big data meets big brother, expanding how the government monitors, understands, and ultimately controls its 1.4 billion citizens. Thanks to advances in artificial intelligence and facial recognition and a web of more than 200 million surveillance cameras. Are people bothered by privacy concerns? We think uh, a lot of cameras keep the safety. It's uh, really good. We can accept it. Companies are experimenting with the algorithms to help the government create the new national social credit system. The government also has pilot projects. In one, citizens are required to do hours of unpaid work to get benefits. And scores are docked for things like littering, a messy yard, gossip, even jaywalking. Yes, this is today's China rapidly becoming the West. We are copying everything you just heard. And did you hear the same effing rhetoric uh, about safety? They love it. This is when you grow up in this and this is all you know, they're keeping us safe. And you get extra credit if you avoid gossip and you get extra credit if you go clean the streets so you can keep your social, you know, say you went and bought too much meat or say you drove a gas powered car or say um, you questioned a COVID vaccine. You could go do a thousand hours of community service and get your score up just a little to offset your negative behavior. 
and everyone will keep track of it. And, you know, they have these apps with China where you can actually find out when people walk by who's in debt, who's not in debt, even you know, who's violating the state's edict on what you can believe politically or scientifically. All right, well, this isn't done. We have part two. This is NBC News, just continuation. This is a great report by NBC News. More on this horrifying Chinese social credit system, which the West is seemingly openly embracing. Clip six. And information collectors like Joe I. Ni are paid to report on their neighbors. Her quota, 10 entries a month. Like the man who carried a drunk person home. A good deed, she says. Good social credit gets rewarded with perks like cheap loans and travel deals. But a bad score means public shame and worse. Huang Huijun lost a court case and didn't pay. Now he's on a government blacklist. I can't buy airplane or train tickets, he says. And the list goes on. Being discredited makes it hard to get a job or put kids in top schools. The social credit system will go nationwide next year, and few here are willing to criticize it. Something that may pose a risk itself for a bad score and the life that comes with it. Wow. NBC News ought to get a journalistic award for that report. They get, uh, they lay this out in such a way where you can't even criticize it. Because if you criticize the Chinese social credit system, guess what? Your social credit system drops. And the way the NBC News reporter said, and the life that goes with that lower score, which means you are, you're effed. Um, and then if you listen to what they said about getting good loans, wow, we're imposing this in the West. What do you think environment social governance is? You come, I wish I had the clip. I'll have to show that again, uh, maybe on uh, tomorrow's show. Uh, the clip that the the, uh, the the Heritage Foundation produced, phenomenal one-minute clip of going to get a loan under ESG. They don't care how much your company makes. They don't care what product you're producing. They don't care about your, your environment, your uh any of your business ethics, practice, return on investors. All they care about is do you hire, do you have transgenders? Do you have believe in critical race theory? Uh, and uh, are, are you are you adhering to all the climate and environmental uh, virtue signaling? And that's what they determine how you get your loans. And that is an example, the social credit system. Um, and we saw this many people in the West, you know, like, oh, the case counts are up on COVID because people aren't wearing their mask. We should banish the, the, the unvaccinated from hospitals and make them wait. We know when they should be the last in line to get any procedure because they didn't get the vaccine. This is frightening. This is 2024 in the world on planet Earth. And this is the way people are collectively responding and thinking China seems to be leading the way. It's way beyond February of 2020, when the World Health Organization went to China, when China was a tyrannical response, locking people, nailing them in their homes, wearing hazmat suits and claiming they eradicated a virus. When the World Health Organization announced the world, you know, if you want to stop COVID, copy China. China's doing it right. China is the only, China's the role model. China, China, China. And like asses, the entire Western world copied China and went down a hell hole of rabbit hole a descent into Dante's Inferno of tyranny, of hell, of dystopia. And we really haven't recovered. And it's continuing to this day. Uh, of course, we talked about the WHO pandemic treaty. It's all coming on. Anyway, all right. I don't want to depress you too much. I do want to depress you, though. It's 
it's sport. Now, uh, it's important that you understand what's going on, but everyone's fighting back on all fronts. In fact, they're fighting back on this whole net zero agenda in Europe. It's hopefully unraveling. We got Republican governors and attorney generals fighting back on ESG. We have many governors, Republican governors, at least in the United States, saying they're not going to allow central bank digital currency. So we have to when the when the public is against it these things can melt away but we have to get organized we have to get resistance uh and we have to fight this just the way the farmers in the eu are fighting incredibly in, the, in europe okay when we come back we're gonna have matt shoemaker running for congress in north carolina a young veteran intel officer national security commentator we're going to talk foreign policy why he's running for congress what ails america and what the agenda to fix it should be in the year 2024 and also globally. Uh, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We'll be right back after these messages. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in The Guardian. Pleasure of sex is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Isn't there anything else that's 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 more important to worry about? And this is what uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm gonna I'm gonna read in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but Catholics must avoid pornography. Pope Francis has said. The Pontiff. Oh, I will tell you what though, he was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021. Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn. Abby Roberts on TNT. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. The country has been long for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit, and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Uh, okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking. TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right. Well, joining us now is Matt Shoemaker. Uh, he's a young veteran intel officer, and he is a national security commentator. He's running for Congress in North Carolina. Uh, first of all, welcome to the program today, Matt. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to run for Congress, which is probably one of the most loathed institutions in our country and has been for many decades, I would argue. <laughs> why do you want to be Absolutely. part of that pull? <laughs> yes. Usually when people ask me why I'm running, my first answer is self-hatred more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> but no, my name is Matt Shoemaker. Um, and I'm, up until about six months ago or so, I was actually on active duty with the Navy, I was stationed down at CENTCOM where I was running intelligence operations against the Russians and the Chinese in the sandbox. So they kept me busy. And it's something that I've been doing for the better part of almost 10 years. And as you mentioned, I am now a military and national security commentator for Fox News and Newsmax, and I write for various different publications around the world. But, you know, having said that, I am running for Congress. And as a former intelligence officer, 
I am running to defund stupidity and to send intelligence <laughs> to DC because God knows they need it more than anything. Yes. All right. Well, uh, just give us a little bit more on your background. Uh, you know, sure. where did you grow up? Are you from North Carolina? And then tell us a little bit about your military service. Absolutely. So I'm from a military family, actually. So the amount of places that I've lived over the course of my life, unfortunately, yeah. is a little bit ridiculous. Uh, okay. But no, actually, uh, pretty much every generation in my family going back all the way to the American Revolution has served in uniform in one branch or another. But thankfully, it's not so much a, a Lieutenant Dan situation where I have a family member dying in each, each war or so. Uh, the only family member that passed away uh, in combat was in the War of 1812. So there's been a little bit of time since then. Um, and hopefully it won't continue. You know, hopefully we'll, we'll keep up that track record. Um, but, no, but no, so the, the amount of places that I've lived over the course of my life is, is crazy. Uh, but prior to being stationed in, at CENTCOM, I was actually over in England with European Command. I've been stationed in Quantico, Virginia, and in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. So I've been all over the place. Um, but one of the things that I actually really want to tackle here in North Carolina more than anything, because it is home for me, you know, having lived in so many different places, this was always kind of home base. I have family here, and this is where I choose to, to, to call home more than anything. Um, and what I really want to tackle more than anything, number one issue, of course, is going to have to be border security. You know, it, it, we keep hearing these talking points, if you will, of border security is national security. And it's kind of left at that. It's not exactly wrong, but there's no meat to it. There's no actual meaning behind it. And where I'm coming from with this is that border security is family security. And by that, I mean, I was just talking just the other day to a teacher here in the Raleigh area who she teaches English as a second language. And she has been pulled from her normal class teaching students and she's been put into a classroom with illegals. And she now has to teach the illegal immigrants who are here who shouldn't even be here. So that is resources that we are pulling away from our own kids. It's resources we're pulling away from our police. It's resources we're pulling away from our healthcare, all to take care of people who shouldn't even be there. That is why this is a real life situation for me. I've got a brother who's a cop, for example. He has to deal with this every day in terms of the rise in crime and rise in narcotics. I don't think we need to be living in a country that deals like that. We need to secure our border before we take care of anyone else. And how would you go about doing that? I mean, I think that the, the bill, the immigration bill passed the House, and I think even in the, 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 the Senate, though, I guess it failed uh, recently. What would you specifically do, and how do you deal with this whole just frustrating culture right now in in washington and there's even been criticism of the, of the texas governor for not doing more you know invoking the state uh militia and all that the state uh, national guard and all that uh how would you yeah. specifically go about sealing the border yeah so there's a there's a lot to unpack yeah, in in your in your comments the first thing is um the way that i look at things is you know i'm a big fan of ronald reagan he's full of all of these wonderful one-liners and one of them that has always stuck with me is when he said to the effect of the solutions to our problems are often simple, but they're not easy. Right. And when it comes to I something agree. like border security, it, it really this is not rocket science. It is about giving our border security agents the resources that they need, the backing that they need to get their job done and build the wall. I mean, it is very simple concepts, but it doesn't necessarily make it easy. Now, having said that, you, you mentioned uh, the the. Um, House Resolution 2 bill that, yeah. that, that the House passed a number of months ago, that is by far one of the best pieces of immigration legislation probably in a generation. It reinstalls uh, President Trump's uh, remain in Mexico policy, keeping out illegals 
out of the United States while they wait for their trial. And the other thing it does is that it actually curtails significantly the criteria under which someone can claim asylum. That is one of the best pieces of legislation. And there is no excuse for why every single member of Congress, let alone every single Republican, shouldn't be you know, pounding the pavement, telling every single person about this piece of legislation. Now, the Senate actually has refused to take it up, interestingly enough. So they didn't even vote it down. They, had, they came up with their own version of what they claim to be border security over the past few days, which is just complete garbage. Uh, and it won't go anywhere in the House. Absolutely. So, so there, right now, there's, it's unfortunately a, a situation of the right hand doesn't really know what the left hand is doing. All right, how do we go about getting like the actual wall built? I mean, Donald Trump, I guess, built some of it, but not nearly enough. And it was very difficult to get funding. And it just doesn't seem like Congress has ever been interested in funding a wall. Maybe there is now. I think because of the, it's almost like we needed this to happen. Now there might be a national movement to actually build a wall. But do you think we're actually yes. ready and there'll be, there'll be the resolution to do that? Well, the first thing that we can do to, to help build this wall is to get me elected more than anything, because that is something that I am. This is my number one issue of getting elected to, to solve the border security crisis. Now, in terms of how we do that, you know, my philosophy is if we can't secure our own borders first, why are we just why are we trying to secure Ukraine's borders, for example? I mean, the Senate just today passed a a ninety five billion dollar emergency aid bill in which they gave $60 billion to Ukraine. Now, if we can't secure our own border, we shouldn't be worrying about Ukraine right now. Now, that is a point of negotiation that I'm willing to engage in, in terms of being able to, to help Ukraine out. I'm a big fan of, of making sure that the Russians don't dominate the rest of Europe for, for another century or so like they did during the Soviet times. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to sell out this country in order to get it done. And that's what I think the Senate is doing. They're selling out the country because they don't care about border security. Wow. OK, what other major issues? OK, immigration and what else are you running on? So the other two issues that I'm running on are, of course, going to be the economy and inflation. And then the third uh, and then, of course, election integrity. You know, election well, integrity. We yeah, sure, absolutely. Ahead, election about, integrity election is, first, is yeah. important because the only thing in, in this discussion that we oftentimes talk about is voter ID. And voter ID is very useful, but it is a front end security issue, the gatekeeper issue. We're trying to prevent people who shouldn't be voting from voting. Fine. That is something that we should do. But what we also need to be reminded of is that there's back end security as well. Once those votes have been cast, you know, with these electronic systems or so, a lot of states are using still thumb drives, if you will, to collate all of these votes from all the different precincts. You know, those are really large security gaps like that to still be using thumb drives is like using a horse and buggy in the computer age, essentially. So there's a lot of security that goes on behind the scenes that we don't talk about. The only thing we're talking about right now is going to be the front end stuff with voter ID. There's a whole slew of things that we can do in order to help secure this. That's what I'm here to talk about. And that's what I'm here to just help solve. How does uh, North Carolina, are they better than most states in terms of mail-in ballots, election integrity? How do they compare to other states? Mail-in ballots, they're, they're doing fairly well, and you have to request a mail-in ballot if you're going to receive one rather than they just send it out writ large. The one thing that they passed in the past 12 months in particular has been helpful. It's a step in the right direction. They did install voter ID requirements. Now, one of the issues that they're having is that there are over 100 different forms of voter ID that they find acceptable. Some of those forms of voter ID can simply be, you know, a library card. It could be a membership card to some organization that all you did was tell them your name and address or so. You didn't have to give any other information 
uh, whether or not you were a citizen or not. So there's still work to be done, and especially on the back end, because North Carolina has not taken care of the back end security element to it. Okay. Now you mentioned economy and inflation. Now we actually have you know a mess. We have the most debt we've ever had, the largest deficits, uh, runaway inflation, energy restrictions, uh, and we have a United States economy still reeling from the ill-advised COVID lockdowns. How do you come in and fix uh, this whole U.S. economy? What would you, as a congressman, what could you possibly do? Yes. So a lot of it just once again comes down to the solutions are simple, but they're not easy. Uh, okay. And for me, yeah, absolutely. The inflation, for uh, for example, inflation begins in Washington because only Washington can print money. Yeah, it's that simple. And, you know, every single year that we pass a budget, you know, and, and not a continuing resolution, you know, we always ask, you know, is the budget balanced or how much money are we going into debt in order to balance the budget? The budget is always balanced one way or another, and we're paying for it. It's either balanced through the taxes that we take in and then spend or it's balanced because of the debt and inflation we take on and accrue because of it. So a lot of it just comes down to getting control of our spending and getting a re good return on investment, actually more than anything. Because the money that we spend, we need to know that it's actually being spent wisely and not just going into someone's coffers and making people wealthy. Uh, and how would you possibly, you know, cut budgets at this point? You know, when sure. Reagan was, you mentioned Reagan, he was elected in 1981, well, he was sworn in in 81. He had an office of management and budget director, David Stockman, who they, remember they did the they did a 30 percent across board income tax. It was reduced to 25 percent. But the problem was they wanted to do a huge increase in defense spending, which was needed at the time. And there was all these promised cuts in domestic spending. And David Stockman said that basically it was not hard to get the defense increases in because Washington loves spending money. But in terms of getting the cuts, he couldn't do it. And he actually concluded in a book years later that it was just almost impossible because people like all that government spending. So how, yep. do, how do you actually, and then we've had many, one more, one more point. All these Republicans in the last decades, and this happened under Reagan, where they agree to a tax increase. And then with now, it's immediate effect. We're in spending cuts that are pushed off to the future and in reality never happen. So how do we avoid yep. those same mistakes Republicans have made over the last 30, 40 years? Sure. So let me take the Department of Defense, for example, because as I mentioned, I was there up until about six months ago. You know, the Department yeah. of Defense routinely fails every single year in audit. The Department of Defense actually has no idea, has no clue where 60 percent of its $850 billion budget is spent. That's over $500 billion. That's that's actually the size of the state of Israel's entire economy that they yeah. that the Defense Department just does not track actually more than anything. And, you know, for me, that's a national security issue. You know, it's waste, fraud and abuse that we don't know where that money's going. And I think Russia is a perfect example of this. When, what happens when uh, corruption, if you will, permeates its defense sector? You know, we thought that the Russians were the second most powerful country in the world up until two years ago when they invaded Ukraine. And now because of all the corruption that they have, you know, they are having a, quite a difficult time holding on to a sliver of land right next to them. Now, what we can do about it, actually, is, you know, uh, my plan for this is, you know, it doesn't have to be draconian, interestingly enough. You know, the, the officer corps in the military, these guys are prima donnas. They're oftentimes much more po political and politicians and careerists more than anything. If yeah. you put requirements on them and actually enforce this and say, if you, you, can, you can talk about whatever echelon of authority that you want to, you put a requirement on that commanding officer 
you pass an audit this year, so we know where your money's going or you don't get promoted, we're going to find out where that money is, right? Until we actually have teeth in that legislation, it's not going to happen. It's just going to continue on and it's going to be what I call institutionalized thinking of, well, it's just done this way. We don't need to worry about it. And so that's not an answer for me. So if we put in actual requirements, they don't have to be draconian. They don't have to be rocket science, but they can actually get the job done. All right. Uh, what about some of the, I, I guess, domestic cultural issues? You have everything from the transgender agenda, whether you know biological men should complete compete in women's uh, athletic events, and then of course you have you know critical race theory in schools, and and you have everything from ESG, environment, social governance, and you have this whole, I guess you could call it the woke agenda. Are you, is that is that part of your campaign? Is that a big deal with you or? Uh, you know, a lot of this, I look at it as Warren Buffett, of all people, according to Bill Gates, is funding this kind of stuff. I think in many ways, these kind of issues are dividing Americans so that we don't see, you know, we don't unite over a lot of other issues that we should be, like the border. Um, what's your take on this, so, the so-called woke agenda, for lack of a better word? Well, there's a reason why part of my slogan is defund stupidity. <laughs> you know, you don't have to you don't have to have yeah, an advanced degree to realize that there are only two genders. I mean, you can use your God given eyes to recognize that sort of thing. So it, more than anything, I am here to say absolutely not. That is stupid. Why in the world would I use taxpayer dollars to fund that sort of ridiculousness? Absolutely not. So but in terms of, of my campaign, the, the number one priorities are certainly going to be border security and, and the economy. Of course, people are, are, are certainly worried about the woke agenda, and that's something I want to tackle. And actually, one way we can do that, interestingly enough, is, and we can, you know, in a certain sense, kill two birds with one stone. You know, the woke agenda is oftentimes rooted in universities itself. We saw this with regards to yeah. Harvard and University of Pittsburgh, uh, U, University, uh, UPenn, excuse me. Um, and it, but it also ties in, to, interestingly enough, to things like student debt. You know, and the left for so long has been saying that the taxpayers should fund, should bail out student debt. I am under no uh, illusion that that should ever happen. It's stupid. That is a stupid idea. But what should happen is that universities who've been price gouging for, for decades, if not longer, they should be held accountable for the degrees that they are putting out. You know, if their degree is not worth its weight in salt, then they need to cough up the cash in order to do that. I, and I honestly think that we can actually see them having to dip into their uh, extremely large endowments, and they would have to start cutting wasteful employment in uh, university systems. So watch how quickly they would end up cutting their DEI and woke agendas in order to have to pay for things if we actually hold them accountable for what they do. That's where it, it, we need to go. We need to bring accountability back to the university system. All right. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. We're talking to Matt Shoemaker for Congress. What's your website uh, that you have? Absolutely. My website is votemjs.com. Mjs.com. Votemjs.com. We'll be right back after these messages, continuing our talk with Matt Shoemaker on Unleashed on TNT. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, the latest in the Michael Mann versus Mark Stein trial is a little bit interesting, and I'm trying to figure out if this is right. Apparently, Dr. Mann's lawyers, there are four of them, and remember, Mark Stein is defending himself by himself. Apparently, they've asked for a nominal fee as far as damages go. And there is a rumor that what was asked for, now sit down, you ready for this? Was $1. Now, Mark Stein has spent around $3.5 million, I've heard. I don't know, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. 
defending himself from Michael Mann and Michael Mann's lawsuit over the fact that Mark Stein thinks that Michael Mann hid the data and he called him a fraud, right? Now, I could see, for instance, let's say uh, the number one climatologist in the world said that to you. That's one thing. But Mark Stein is a journalist. That's the first thing. Second thing is he had to raise the money to defend himself. And we've gone over this. But one dollar? Why would Michael Mann only want one dollar? You know why? He just wants the decision. He just wants to be able to say, see, he actually did defame me. I won the court case. Well, I don't think Stein wants any part of that because of the fact that he wants to drill it home that what Michael Mann did, take two samples out of 22 and then hide, he did. He hit the data from people who would criticize it and actually tear it apart. Mark Stein wants that to come out. One's pursuing the truth, the other seems to be hiding it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Sometimes life can be overwhelming and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong, some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, we're talking with Matt Shoemaker running for Congress in North Carolina. Uh, a question here, looking back at 9-11, COVID, and now climate change, one of the things the government has done in order to bypass democracy has been to declare these national emergencies. We're still living under the 9-11 terrorism decree declared by George W. Bush. It gets, you know, reauthorized all the time. And then the COVID emergency declaration, which allowed every governor and mayor to become overnight dictators, particularly Democrat governors like in California, Hawaii and Washington State and uh, New York and Michigan and all those places and they could bypass the legislator. We're all through emergency powers. Do you think, do you have anything in your plank or have you looked into possible ways to reform these emergency powers? Because right now you have Joe Biden who's been talking and the media has been promoting the idea, including the Weather Channel, that he should declare a national climate emergency, which would give Joe Biden 140 executive powers by which to bypass Congress with. What do you think we need to do in terms of you know, some kind of emergency power reform where, you know, put like limits on it or, you know, because so, the current system seems to give executives open-ended powers that go way beyond anything we should have in a democracy. Have you given any thought or have any position on that? Absolutely. You know, so here in North Carolina, actually, our governor actually held us uh, at ransom, if you will. They held us, he held us uh, under lockdown for far longer than anywhere, anywhere in the South, actually, more than anything. Um, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it really was not 
um, how do I put this? The, the, the way that the, the federal government, let's put it that way, since I would be at a federal level, I don't see anywhere in the Constitution uh, that says where the federal government has the authority to make uh, medical decisions on behalf of citizens. Yeah. That is uh, the long and short of it where, where I'm coming from. Now, if, if President Biden or, or any future president, for that matter, tries to, to declare some sort of emergency health situation, emergency climate situation, I have been endorsed by the Constitution Party of the United States, interestingly enough, despite the fact that I am running as a Republican, um, because of my originalist constitutional interpretation. Uh, more than anything, a lot of our problems would simply be solved if we read the Constitution and if we applied it the way that our founding fathers intended it to be applied. So many of our problems would be solved by that, and that's what I'm here for. I'm here for an originalist interpretation of the Constitution. Just to be clear, the Constitution Party, is that founded by Howard Phillips, uh, the U.S. Taxpayer Party formally? I believe it is. Uh, uh, I, I would have to take a look to see who is the yeah. founding member of that. Um, yeah. I believe it is. I mean, I, I actually worked for that in 1991-92 in when it was called the mm. U.S. Taxpayer Party. And I believe it later became the U.S. Constitution Party, but that's a good endorsement to have. Okay, Fair real enough. quick, North Carolina, what was the name of your governor during COVID? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, Roy got Cooper, unfortunately. Roy Cooper. Yeah, Democrat. Roy Cooper. Yes. I go to North yes. Carolina every summer to your Outer Banks beaches. Beautiful. Mm. And during oh, COVID, yes. they had a ban on the beaches being open. Yes. And I'm yes. sorry, not the I'm sorry, the gyms being open. So I found mm. local gyms that were willing to defy the governor. Many of them were just like, no, we're, in fact, the more corporate they were or the retail chain, they obeyed the law, which which is another yes. argument where you want everything small and local and free and you know, bootstrap capitalism, mom and pop. I found ones that were not that were refusing to close. And it was like going into a speakeasy for two years running in North Carolina. You know, you had to go in and you, you had to pay the money and they had to be real careful. They didn't have open signs on the outside yet. Just to go do a workout during COVID, a public health threat. They don't want you on a treadmill or a bike or lifting weights. It was insane. Uh, you're saying yes. one of the worst. I think you were the worst in the deep south or at least the south. Yes. I didn't know of any other state like that. I couldn't believe it. Um, and of course, the mask mandate and all the rest of it yeah. but anyway i digress there well, unfortunately, but unfortunately I, I, I was yeah. actually stationed over in england at the time during covid and england was actually way worse than even california they actually had us on house arrest virtually wow. the entire country under house arrest for about six months and since they didn't have enough police to enforce it they asked citizens to report oh, on yes. each other and yes. they did which that yeah. is uh, a very different way of interpreting it was uh, almost uh, uh german-esque if you will from from the previous century yeah. Wow. Uh, well, what about climate change? You have the uh, the whole, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, the Green New Deal. We have this net zero agenda, these these treaties. Now, Congress can't have a say. The Senate should be ratifying these treaties that, you know, like the UN Paris Climate Accord. But they claim there's no reason to because it was George H.W. Bush in 1992 that did the original uh, Earth Summit with the UN uh, Sustainable Development. What's your take on that whole agenda? I, I honestly am not convinced by the arguments from the left that we're going to be able to improve the climate, especially just from the American perspective, considering that we are less, I believe it's somewhere around 30% of global emissions at most. Uh, and the vast majority of it is coming from India and China. Uh, so if we don't get them on board and they have made it very clear that they have no intention of, of getting on board the climate agenda, there's no way that they can achieve 
what they want to, even if it were possible. And I am highly doubtful that it is even technologically possible to do what they're claiming that they can do. The only thing it's going to be doing is to change people's behavior in a way that is most beneficial to the Democratic Party. You know, you look at the way that, that EVs are going and how the, the Biden administration is trying to overregulate the the traditional car market in order to increase costs of traditional car, gas-powered cars in order to make them comparable price-wise with EVs. You know, it's complete manipulation of the market, and I don't see anywhere in the Constitution where it gives the government the authority to do that. Yeah, let me ask you, on, on those lines, you have the both on the, the intentional almost collapse or restriction of energy, restriction of food, and restriction of transportation. Almost all of that is being done now through corporate government collusion. The energy part's being done with environment social governance through equity asset firms like BlackRock, working with the government, John Kerry, and they're putting all these restrictions on lending that you have to meet certain criteria. You get higher interest rates if you're doing fossil fuel. When it comes to like, as we talked about cars, you have the Biden's unelected bureaucrats at the EPA imposing insane restrictions that are basically, if EVs are so great, why do you have to ban gas powered cars? You know, as I said, that's like having Muhammad Ali saying, I'm the greatest of all time. And you gets in the ring and they're like, well, where's Joe Fraser? Where's George Foreman? I don't need to fight anyone because I'm the greatest. I banned them from the ring. It would never happen. You would never respect Muhammad Ali. That's what they're claiming when it comes to EVs or solar and wind. And then the third thing was um, you have okay, so you have energy, transportation, and food. You have now Bill Gates, the single largest farmland owner in America, according to NBC News. You have uh, Jeff Bezos, a close second. You have China buying up land, China buying up uh, sausage plants and everything else. And Bill Gates stated goals, America's farmland owner, is to get people to eat fake synthetic meat, which he's now invested with Richard Branson, another billionaire, to put lab-grown meat. And the US FDA, surprise, surprise, is already starting to approve that for human consumption, and they're also pushing bugs. But here's my point, and I'm sorry this is long-winded, but no one voted for a gas-powered car ban anywhere, but yet it's happening everywhere. And I mean, most states, it's happening now at a federal level, it's happening in Europe, it's happening all over the Western world. No one voted to start restricting meat eating, but that seems to be happening everywhere as well with all these new regulations on farming and methane emissions. And this is what all the farmers in Europe are shutting down Paris and France and Romania. Exactly. So anyway, it's a long-winded question to say, what would you do about this corporate government collusion? And we saw this, of course, in pharmaceuticals. You yeah. saw you know, people like Scott Gottlieb leave the FDA, go over to the um, go over to the uh, uh, Pfizer, and then the question also the same thing in terms of corporate government collusion. How would you reform this whole yeah. public mess that Anthony? There, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a couple different ways to to look at it right now. I'm I'm going to tackle the, the the China element of it first. Uh, yeah. And and when it comes to the way that China is is interacting with the United States government and trying to to collude, if you will, I actually just recently contributed to an article from the Daily Caller that looked into uh, uh, ostensibly American food companies that are actually owned by the Chinese. Just here in North Carolina, for example, the very large Smithfield Foods organization was sold to a parent company, if you will, uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah. Turns out that that parent company, the board members, over half of them are card-carrying members of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. Now, it, there are a couple things with that. One, it's no joke at all to become a member of the Chinese Communist Party. It's, there's nothing comparable to it in the United States. You don't just walk down to the nearest you know, Communist Party office and sign up for it. They vet you for years and they will reject you if they don't think that you're pure enough. 
Now, rumor is, is that Chairman Xi Jinping was actually rejected nine times before they allowed him to join in the mid-1970s. You know, so it's no joke to have these individuals who are card-carrying members of the Chinese Communist Party. And then what they do then with regards to once they own the, this land is from a short-term perspective, it's purely money-making. But from a long-term perspective, it gives them the ace in the deck, if you will, if we were ever to go to war with, the, with China, where they can start manipulating food prices. They can start manipulating other elements of, of the markets, for example, when it comes to um, buying uh, large amounts of fertilizer, for example. Those could be used both to increase the price of fertilizer everywhere in the United States. It therefore increases the price of food. And if you have large stockpiles of, of fertilizer, as the Oklahoma City bombing taught us, you know, those could be used for explosive purposes. So there are a number of different things that the Chinese are doing in order to try and get into this. So there's there's a lot going on there that, that it needs a lot of unpacking, unfortunately. All right. Well, sorry for that long question. All right. Final couple minutes. Your U.S. foreign policy evaluation as a former intel officer, what, how do you see us uh, under Biden? Uh, did you yeah. like Trump's foreign policy? Where, what's, what should the U.S. role be foreign policy-wise in the world? Sure. So I am the America first candidate in my race, if you will. I was actually just recently endorsed by President Trump's national security advisor, General Michael Flynn. It's been absolutely wonderful, and I'm very humbled to receive his support, to get you know the support from the former national security advisor himself. It's yeah. just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, now, the way that I about him, he was debanked yes. by Bank of America, I believe, because of a reputational yes. risk. And then they're anyway, continue. I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. Now, when it comes to Mr. Biden's performance, the best way I can describe it is the past three years have been a litany of catastrophe. And the sad thing is that we didn't need to be in this situation. I think it all started with when President Biden allowed the collapse of Afghanistan. Uh, and from there, it gave a green light to virtually every single one of America's uh, enemies and adversaries that they yeah. can not only push the envelope, but that there's not going to be a response from the United States. You know, you see the way that, that President Biden has interacted with Iran alone. There seems to be a very strong element of appeasement in this administration, which is very odd considering that President Biden was born in 1942 during the height of World War II, which was caused by Western appeasement of hostile forces. So it's it's a very odd situation and it's gonna take a new generation of Americans in order to get there and to bring us back. That's what I offer and that's what I'm here to do. All right, thank you very much, Matt Shoemaker. Give us the website again. Absolutely, my website is votemjs.com. I'm on Twitter at votemjs and Facebook at Matt Shoemaker for Congress and let's send intelligence to DC. All right, and do you have a primary coming up or is it gonna be, are you- are March you, the I'm 5th. Actually, it is March. It is oh, wow. Super it's Tuesday. Yeah, a couple of weeks away. Wow. Okay. Coming fast. All right. Well, good luck in your primary. Thank you for joining Unleashed with Mark Morano today. Um, and we appreciate it. So thanks a lot. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. And tomorrow, I hope to have some updates in the Michael Mann Mark Stein trial. Just to give you a quick update, they concluded their uh, closing remarks yesterday, and the jury is now in full deliberation. Uh, and this is going to be the climate trial of the century verdict coming up. Possibly, may even have a verdict by tomorrow. We'll see, but maybe next week. We don't know how long the jury will deliberate. It's a jury of 11 in DC. Uh, so we'll keep you posted on that. In the meantime, thank you for watching. This is uh, Mark Morano on Unleashed on TNT. 